from God's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you weren't with us last week, this is really the second part of a section in God's Word that uh, begins with describing the, the body of Christ, the fellowship of, of Jesus' people coming together as a human body. And so that's the context that we're going to be diving into. Let's read together from God's Word. You'll see the text on the screen. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is the Word of God. When you show up at the doctor, the first question that the nurse, or perhaps if you get to see the doctor first, the first question that they'll ask is going to be, what's wrong? Uh, they're going to want you to list off your symptoms, uh, share with them what you've been experiencing. I've had a fever, or I've uh, had a headache, or uh, my knee's been hurting. And that's what a doctor does. He, he's supposed to uh, gather a list of symptoms from us so that he can then provide some solutions for us. Well, I just want to, to point you to that because remember what we've been doing as we've walked through 1 Corinthians. We have, we've been listening to the Apostle Paul who has served like a doctor for this church. The, the, the church that said, Paul, here's all that's going wrong with us. And the Apostle Paul then writes back in the letter of 1 Corinthians to say, well, here's, here's what you need to fix those problems. Last week, we looked at a symptom that Paul had noticed that the church hadn't even noticed. And it came to, uh, to describe something that was happening when they all gathered together. There were some, as we talked about last week, who, who felt inferior to others in the congregation. They didn't feel like they were important or needed. And so the Apostle Paul replied with some truth. But in this passage that we just read, the Apostle Paul is going to lay out another symptom, another threat to the body coming together and being healthy and strong. It was a different threat, though, whereas the first threat had to do with a feeling of inferiority, the second threat that we just read about is a feeling of superiority. So just look at it again. It's in uh, verse 21. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. The, the symptom of superiority in the heart of this church or in the heart of individuals was the words or the attitude that they didn't need, well, anybody else or somebody else in the context of their body, of their family of faith. Now, in the Corinthian context, this was probably those who were very wealthy or influential. Uh, they uh, considered themselves to not need everybody else, and so uh, the church depended on them financially, and so they should just pretty much have their own way. That's probably what was happening in their context. 
And the Apostle Paul says, look, just because you are, you are strong, you have influence and, and finances, it doesn't mean you get to, to cut off the other parts and say that you don't need them. Now, that may not be the situation that we face in our own church or in churches across our nation today, but we do face a similar kind of threat, a similar kind of attitude or heart that, that can, if not, uh, not checked, can lead to some really destructive outcomes. While it might not be we're wealthy and we don't need those who are poor, it might be that there are some who would say, well, I'm spiritual, but but not religious. I can follow Jesus just fine on my own. I don't need the church to, uh, to be a part of that. I can just follow him on my own. Do you see the, the symptom of superiority? The, the heart that says, I don't need you. Or it could be that within the context of a church, there emerges groups that say, you know what, we're the real heart of this church, and the church just can't go forward without us. Or it might be another group within the same church that says, well, we're the, we're the muscle for the church, and nothing's going to get done unless, unless we are a part of us. Anytime you begin to hear in the context of a, of a community of Christ followers, a church, us and them language, you may be looking at a symptom of an attitude of superiority. And the Apostle Paul, in this next section that we're going to look at, is going to say that that threat not only constitutes a threat to the community, to the family of faith, it's a threat to the gospel itself. And so he, he points them to the truth, the truth that is supposed to serve as an antidote to that, that disease of superiority in the hearts of these people. And it's the same antidote that we need as a community and as individuals, to counteract the disease of superiority that might creep into our own hearts. So I want you to see how it is that Paul drives to a solution, an, an antidote here. Look at verse 22. He says this, But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. You see, the truth that Paul points this church to, if they are to counteract the disease of superiority, the truth is that all are necessary. Now, I, I looked up the word necessary because I wanted to make sure I understood what it meant. In the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it, it lists this de definition. It says, that which is necessary is that which is absolutely needed or required. The example for the word is that food is necessary for life. Can I get an amen? Hey, right? I mean, we know this instinctually. We know we got to eat. Otherwise, we're going to, uh, to, to shrivel up and die. Well, what, what Paul's doing here is saying, hey, look, this community, uh, th those who follow Christ together, they need everybody in the community. See, that the temptation is for us to look at folks who are hard to get along with, look at folks who are needy and sort of a drain in our energy and resources, look at folks who just do things different than us and uh, that we just have a hard time connecting with. And in our minds, if not in our hearts, we consider them to be, well, like a pinky. 
you know, a pinky is nice to have, but if you chop it off, it's going to hurt, but you can get along without it, right? Some of you who don't have pinkies are saying, well, speak for yourself, but uh, I'm, I'm not getting personal here. Uh, maybe it's like, it, like they're, an, they're an ear, you know, it's sure it helps you to hear or whatever, and if you don't have the ear, uh, you look a little silly, you look kind of funny, but you can kind of get along with that. You know, our temptation is to treat those people on the other side of our us-them divides as not necessary. But the truth that Paul points to is that they are necessary. He, he's describing those who are weaker as, well, not as little fingers or as ears, but as a liver, as the kidneys. It's the lungs. Without the weaker, the body dies. It's not just the body is weakened. The body can't continue in the way that God has designed it without the weaker in it. Now, if you've been reading through 1 Corinthians and you hear Paul say the weaker parts are necessary in verse 22, your ears are supposed to start tingling because throughout his letter, the Apostle Paul has been talking about those who are weaker and stronger. If you're taking notes, I'm just going to throw some some places for you to look at later on. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. Chapter 6, 4 and 5. Chapter 8, 7 and 10. Chapter 9, 19 through 23. Chapter 11, 14. And then right again here in chapter 12. Now, if you didn't get all that, just email me and I'll send it to you. Don't worry about trying to uh, write it all down. The point is, this kind of moment where the Apostle Paul says, Hey, church, you're like a human body and the, the weaker parts are necessary organs, not dispensable extremities, this should not be a new thought because he's been developing it all along. And if you look back at chapter 1, you see that it's not just necessary for the community. It's necessary for the gospel that a church reflect this kind of love and care for those who are weak. Chapter 1, verse 22, he says this, For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And then skip down to verse 26. Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. At the very beginning of his letter, the Apostle Paul says, look, the the truth of the gospel is that God has taken that which was considered dishonorable, Christ on the cross. For the Jews, they would have looked at him and said he's cursed. For the the Greeks, they would have looked at him and said, he's a mistake, a criminal. But for Christians, Christ on the cross is the very glory of God. Because on the cross, the justice and love of God meet so that those who come to him find 
forgiveness and salvation and new life. The cross is this great reversal of that which was considered despised and weak and rejected and flipped on its head. In the cross, we now see that which is glorified. We see God himself on display. And the Christian community, the people who claim to preach Christ crucified, they too are supposed to be a, a depiction of a flip between those who are strong and weak and those who are honored and dishonored. The Christian community is supposed to be a flip of that so that everyone in the community is cared for. And when they do, they present Christ crucified in his full power and reality so that those who are watching on the outside come to realize that the cross of Christ is no mere trinket it is no decoration to be placed on your wall or sold at the store. The cross of Christ is a reversal of a way of life, a reversal of what is considered most important, a reversal of who is valued first. And for the Christian, our relationships, especially with one another, are supposed to preach that message of honor for that which is dishonored, of care for that which is rejected, of mercy and love for that which, frankly, ought to be cut off and driven out. Our relationships are preaching a message. The question is, is that message consistent with the gospel? Let me try to kind of make this personal to, uh, to help wrap your minds and hearts around this. Uh, a little bit ago, I was approached by a friend who is caring for his, uh, his elderly mother, and, and she was suffering. She, she loved Jesus. She was ready to go home to be with Jesus, but, uh, but, but she, just, she just wasn't, and the Lord was not taking her home. And my friend said to me, why is it that she's suffering like this? Why won't God just take her? She's, she's done. There's nothing more that she can add to his kingdom here. Why won't he just take her home? And I said, you know, I don't know. The, the honest answer is, I don't know why. I don't know why anybody suffers. I'm not, I don't understand or, or, or presume to be able to speak for God's wisdom in, in allowing suffering. But maybe, maybe that God is redeeming her suffering in that every time you choose to sacrifice for your mom, every time you love her and care for her at your own expense and with, with your own energy and, and you enter into her suffering with her instead of just keeping her apart, Maybe it is that God is redeeming every one of those moments because every time you show love to your mom in those moments, you are putting the love of Christ on display for all to see. And so maybe it's not really about your mom. Maybe God is doing something bigger and he's using her suffering 
And in fact, he's allowing her suffering so that the love of Christ might be more fully displayed in this season of brokenness for us all. Now, if that's true, and I think it is, then how much more so is it that the church of God, his people, when we choose to show love and mercy to those who are different than us, when we choose to embrace those who come from different cultures or backgrounds or economic statuses, when we choose to remain in relationship with those people who are really hard to tolerate in our Sunday school classes, don't point fingers, that's just rude. When we choose to do it, we're putting Jesus on display. And we're allowing his life to be real right here and right now so that the cross of Christ cannot be diminished or rejected by those who look at us because they see its reality in our love for one another. That's what Paul, I think, was driving to when he said that the, the weaker ones are necessary. Those who require the most care, the most support, the most protection, they're necessary for the body so that the body might fully display the love of Jesus Christ. That, that's why we say, bring your kids into worship. Now, we, we know that they make noise and they move around, but we want children in, in worship. It's, it's why we say, uh, uh, come, old and young. We, we want to come together into one family of faith. We don't we don't want to say, you go worship someplace else because you're different. We want to figure out how is it that we, we learn to, to worship and do life together. It's, it's why we say, we're going to stay downtown. We're going to stay in this context, even though it, it means we rub shoulders with people who are very different from us and who have great needs, very different than what we're used to experiencing. We choose to stay here because in so doing, we are able to demonstrate God's love in ways that we could never if we cut ourselves off from those in need, or if we said, you go someplace else because you don't fit who we are. We as a family of faith get to display Christ's love beautifully and powerfully when we choose to stay together as a family of faith. When I was growing up, there was a particular place in my parents' house that we tended to gravitate. It, it wasn't the living room or the living room. For, for whatever reason, we always seemed to just end up in the kitchen. And it wasn't because there wasn't food, because usually the food was in the living room. My mom would put the food out there. And it, it wasn't because it was comfortable. There, was no, there still is no uh, chairs or even uh, um, uh, benches there. We'd sit on the floor on the tile. But for some reason, the, the kitchen was the place where we just seemed to gravitate and, and have the, the deepest of our heart-to-heart -heart conversations. It was the kitchen. And, and I've wondered about, well, why was it that that was the place? Why was it that uh, we were able to connect with one another there in ways that we, we didn't really seem to in other places? And, and I think that the reason why was because in the kitchen, it was, it was small enough that we, we could see each other. Now, we, could, uh, we could interact with one another easily. And 
And even today, when we come back with all of the kids and the grandkids all together, it's not too large that, uh, that all the kids are running around and playing. They've got to go other places. So we have some, some space where they're safe, but they're not creating a distraction. And there's no TV to, to kind of pull attention away from one or the other. When we're in the kitchen, all we have to focus on is one another. And so there's a freedom to share hearts and experiences and ideas that's, that's different then we've got other things pulling at us. Here's, here's what I think that the Apostle Paul was pointing to. I think he was saying, hey, church, you're, you're supposed to create a kitchen kind of uh, environment together. You're supposed to create environments where you can, you can come and, and be who you are, and it's safe to be who you are. That's why he would say in, uh, down in verse 24 that God has put the body together giving greater honor to the less honorable. To put the body together, that expression in Greek, is the same expression that would be used to describe a, a, a blending uh, paint colors together to make a new color. Or if, if a, a musician was to, to put music together, it would be to take uh, the harmonies and melodies and all those other words that I don't really understand and do something really great with them so that the outcome was far greater and more beautiful than any individual part. The, the church is supposed to be a, a gathering of, of people with wide differences that are, by God's wisdom and power, being mingled together to form something new and something beautiful. And, and I think our church has an opportunity, a unique opportunity, to put that kind of thought in practice in the next few weeks. On September the 16th, our new associate pastor for worship and music, Michael Slaughter, he's going to be here to, to begin to lead us in worship. And what I'd like for us to do is for five weeks, starting on September 16th, I'd like for us to, to have one worship venue where we gather for all of our English speakers. Our Spanish service will still be going on, but we're going to bring our, our English venues together. And we're going to have an opportunity to welcome Michael and let him see all of who we are. Let him experience all of the gifts that God has given us. Y'all will have an opportunity to introduce a whole bunch of, of young adults, college students, to, to the way of life and worship that y'all have experienced. And at the same time, they're going to have an opportunity to, to, to introduce you to some of the elements of worship that they've come to appreciate. And it's going to require that, that all of us say, I, I'm okay with not getting all of what I want all the time. I'm, I'm okay with allowing somebody else's thing to, to go first sometimes. And, and when you do, I want you to remember that in that moment, you have an opportunity to express care for the, the weaker one. You have an opportunity to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love those kids. I might not understand or like the way they do something. But in those moments, I'm going to sacrifice for their good. And you know what? I just said the same thing to them over there. Because they're going to have to sacrifice too for our good. Because frankly, we need one another. God has called us together to be His church here. And my hope is as we get to experience this for a few weeks, as we, uh, we kick off a new season with, uh, with Michael, 
that we learn some things together about how it is that we can craft our gathering so that it is a kitchen kind of gathering for our church going forward so that we have an opportunity to put on display the love of Jesus. You see, what Paul pointed this church to, and I think God is calling our church to, is that the best way to build a church is not on one style or another or on one set of gifts or another, but rather on the greatest gift that God has given. It is the gift of his love in Jesus Christ. That's what he ends this section talking about. Verse 31 says, But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Do you know what that better way is? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is famous for its depiction of the nature and power of love. And it ends with Paul saying, Church, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. That's how you build a church. That's how we together our church right here in this city. So for every corner of this region and around the world, people would know the love of Christ through us as we build a church God's way. Let's pray. Father, we... We just, we just, as humbly as we know how, we, we admit the church is not our plan. It's not our design. This church doesn't belong to us. You're the one in your wisdom who chose to redeem broken, sinful people like each of us and then to thrust us together. This was your plan, not ours. And so... We trust you. We recognize that your plan is best and right. And we ask that you would, would do what only you can do here and in our hearts. Would you craft a community here built on the love of your son Jesus, that self-sacrificing, God-honoring love, such that Everybody who comes onto this campus or that knows us as your people across this city and region, they would know that the love of Jesus is real, that the cross of Christ is no mere trinket. We can't accomplish this. We don't have the power or the wisdom to do it. We know that you do. So, Father, Build your church here and use us as your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.